Hey everyone, I'm Tom Shaughnessy and welcome to Disruptors by Delphi, an invite-only show where we host the brightest minds in crypto, not only to educate the Delphi team, but to share their vision and knowledge for the entire space. In this series, the format departs from a normal podcast conversation as guests are in the driver's seat, presenting their ideas with some Q&A built in, but at their discretion. Our goal is to find and feature only the most inspiring guests and to provide a platform for them to share their knowledge with the world. Each guest has put a significant amount of time into their presentation, so we recommend watching the video version at delphidigital.io or on YouTube. As a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. Delphi Ventures may hold tokens mentioned, so check out our transparency page in the show notes for more info. With that, let's dive into the series. Hi, everyone. I'm Tom Shaughnessy, and welcome to Disruptors by Delphi, an invite-only 12-guest-per-year seminar series where we host the brightest minds in crypto, not only to educate the Delphi team, but to share the guests' vision and knowledge for the entire space. Today, we're thrilled to host Tracheopteryx, or Trake for short, for our second episode in the series. In this episode, Trake will discuss year in finance and the story of what DAOs are, how they work, and why they matter. DAOs are the next step in collective development. We're at the very start, and what we've seen is just the edge of the shadow. In this talk, Trake will share his insights from the frontier of the most decentralized DAOs on the planet. Trake will also be giving a new definition for DAOs, showing their anatomy, and contextualizing their value. With that, let's dive into our second episode of Disruptors. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Trake. Thank you for having me here. Um, I'm going to be talking a lot about DAOs, and there's a ton of material. Um, so this is me. I'm a dinosaur. Um, as you can see here, I'm, I'm holding my own heart, and uh, I've summoned Moloch, which is the demon of coordination failure. And I'm not killing Moloch. I'm, I'm in communion with Moloch. I am speaking to Moloch um, because we have to love Moloch. And that's part of the story of DAOs is the balance is not shutting out one side of a polarity because polarity is defined by both sides. And I believe that DAOs really have the ability to create a balance in human coordination that no prior, prior um, coordination technology has allowed. So we're going to talk about that in detail. But I want to start with a bit of my story. So DeFi summer rolls around 2020. I'm writing a science fiction novel. And a friend tells me to take a look at this thing called Yearn. And I had been uh, fascinated with, with DAOs and, and the, their concept, but they'd always been kind of a white paper. And I hadn't been paying that close attention. But then I saw Yearn, and it was amazing. Like here was a guy who had given away all of the tokens, Andre, in the first fair launch. And there was this community of people coming together to work on this thing. And I started looking at the forums and participating in the Discord, and then slowly creeped into some Telegram groups. And I was just amazed. Like, there was nobody in charge. You know, there was no one leader. There was no C-suite. There was no corporation. But there were millions of dollars flowing through this protocol. And it was being controlled in a purely decentralized way. There was on-chain voting. You know, there was, you could make proposals and people were making proposals and discussing them. And I was, I was just blown away. And so basically I just contributed. I stopped writing my book and I started working on this new project. Um, and it was hard, you know, it was actually really hard because we're also used to this certain way of working where, okay, well, what do I do? And then Oh, the boss or somebody tells you what to do and then you do it. And then did I do a good job? But there was none of that. There was nobody telling me what to do. 
There was nobody giving me any feedback on what I was doing. Maybe somebody would be like, this is cool, you know, or like, yeah, that's a good idea. But I had to totally decide for myself what to do. It was very new and it was scary um, and very, very fucking confusing. Um, but it was addictive. And, you know, one day I basically, you know, I guess in August, I decided I now work full time for urine and nobody hired me. Uh, nobody was paying me, um, but I had made that decision for myself. It was probably the best decision I ever made. We talk about urine as being this black hole, right? And aspirationally a black hole for TVL or liquidity, let's say. But it's more than that. It's a singularity. And singularity is something that you can't see beyond. Beyond is only the unknown, right? And that's kind of what urine has been for me, embarking on this uh, journey of contributing to this completely new form of organization with all of its unknowns has been incredible. Um, it, and what I've come to learn, too, is that there, there are many DAOs, many of you participate in many DAOs, and they're not all the same. We're really still figuring this out, figuring out how to make DAOs and how to work on them. Um, Urine is the most decentralized DAO that I know of. And I, people will criticize that in different ways. We don't have on-chain voting, for instance. But we'll get into some of those details. The thing is, Urine is decentralized to the core. There is no core company or team that is operating things, pulling strings in the back, background. And because of that, and because we've had from the beginning product market fit, uh, millions of dollars flowing through us, now billions of dollars in TVL, we've had a product that we've had to maintain and deliver on to real users with real things at stake from the beginning. And we've developed an entire system of governance and operations to support that. So some cosmologists believe that the universe started with a big bang, right, with a singularity exploding into all of known phenomena. Urine was very much like this, right? There was that gift of wifey, which was like a, you know, the explosion of the singularity, the inflaton field of the scalar field that expanded and created everything that we know to be urine. And then there was this short 10 days of wifey farming where people could farm the governance token, which was this incredible expansive event. And then the cosmic microwave background after that, of you know, all of the snapshot of all the holders in the early days, the dark ages of nobody knowing what's going on and like tons of proposals and we didn't make quorum and um, trying to figure it out, right? Trying to figure out what we're doing. And then there was a really important uh, governance proposal that I co-authored with a bunch of people. Um, Substrate was, I think, the lead author on this, Yep41. And this, because prior to this, we had no way to pay anybody. Like people were putting proposals through on governance to like be on podcast, Andre should be on podcast stuff. It was very confusing. So we had to kind of knit together a theory of governance for ourselves. And this is kind of where it started. Um, and what this proposal did was it allowed for um, um, the multisig, which was a group of nine high reputation people to make certain operational decisions on behalf of wifey holders. They could decide to spend a limited budget and make some other enumerated decisions. And this was the beginning of what we call constrained delegation, where token holders give powers to autonomous groups to make decisions on their behalf under guidance and oversight. But we knew it wasn't good enough. And so we said, you know, within six months, we're going to have to improve it. During that time, we did something, the, the mint, which is when we, we minted more wifey tokens, because even though the fair launch was fair for investors and farmers, it wasn't fair for contributors. Most of the contributors didn't get any tokens. And so the community decided to give the contributors wifey tokens. And then after that, we developed, you know, with Gabe Shapiro, who's at Delphi, 
amazing guy. We wrote uh, Governance 2 together, which is what has been going for about a, a, a year now, this concept of constrained delegation, which we'll talk about a little bit more. And so here we are, you know, a bunch of cartoon characters in cyberspace, in the metaverse, um, creating weird ass software products. And it's incredible. This is a NFT that we had commissioned when one of our contributors uh, suffered a real catastrophe and his house was partially destroyed. And he was living, um, you know, uh, in friends places for like a couple months. And so we, we couldn't all be there in person to help him build his house. So we, we made this and we sent it to him. And, you know, it, it, it's so moving to me. And like, this is my family. Like, that's what you can find in a DAO. Um, I haven't met all of these people, but it doesn't matter. You know, our DAO, Yearn, constantly pushes me to grow. And it's incredible. Like, as the collective development of these organisms happen, the individual personal development, all of the people that contribute is also happening. And we'll get more into this. But, you know, there's so much shitposting and FUD on Twitter about DAOs and like, oh, this DAO didn't work, DAOs can't work, DAOs are false, whatever. And it's so far from my experience of working in a DAO, <laughs> um, so far from the quality of human beings that I've met through DAOs that it's really important to communicate some of this from the inside. I've been you know, at the forefront of working in DAOs and designing DAOs for two years, and there's not that many people that have done that. And that group of people are some of the most incredible people I've ever met. The shadowy super coders and the builders and the contributors, unbelievable generosity of spirit and minds. So we're going to get to why DAOs are important. That was a little bit of my story, but we have to start, I think, first with saying what they are. What are DAOs? And to understand that, we have to start with development. So going back to the Big Bang, you know, a singularity, a black hole explodes. It creates all the particles, everything, all the planets. It evolves over time. There's a physicist at MIT whose work I love, Jeremy England, who basically has a thermodynamic uh, theory of Darwinism, which shows mathematically that you just basically shine a constant energy source at material with a heat bath and it'll turn into life. That life is the turbulence in the swirl of time's arrow as we progress to the heat death of the universe, which is when all the particles again coalesce into these black holes. This progression is unstoppable. And DAOs are a part of that, as are our human development. So this is a slide from Ken Wilber's Integral Theory where he collected all of these different thinkers, all these different developmental psychologists and, and gurus and looked at human development from Piaget, children development to adult development. And we progress in similar paths. There is a order to human development. And that map is personal development. That's for me, my internal experience. But another thing that Wilbur showed is that there's actually these four quadrants to experience. There's internal, external, uh, collective and individual. And while we as humans are progressing in the interior individual uh, individual realm, DAOs are progressing in the collective realm. And in the collective realm, DAOs are the next tier of development. And it's not just an incremental step, it's a major step. And it's one that we really need because we're at a perilous place in the world. And for example, I always look to biology because biology is, you know, our, you can, you can get inspiration and understand from these other quadrants, other, other developmental paths, what maybe we'll have to expect. Now, we don't know for sure, but maybe. 
So there was a time, you know, on ancient earth where there was just single cell organisms floating around in the ocean, eating each other. And one day one ate another, but it didn't digest it. Instead, this became mitochondria and they created a symbiotic relationship. This was from prokaryotic to eukaryotic life. And from that moment, multicellular life became possible and complete new change in, in the ecosystem a giant with larger body plants. This is similar maybe to where we're at now with DAOs. Because corporations have been kind of like single cell little creatures eating each other and we need something a little bit better. Yuval Harari talks about corporations as, you know, a, a coordinating fiction and that the story of human coordination is one of fictions, stronger and bigger fictions that allow this to scale bigger and bigger groups of people. Um, what started with, you know, families to, from tribes to nations to corporation and now DAO. This is the developmental leap that we're making now. And importantly, it's transcend and include at each stage. It's not replace. And one is not better than the other. My feelings are not less valuable than my cognitive abilities. And the wisdom of tribes is more important today maybe than ever before. So we need to bring each of these to the next level. But importantly, let's look specifically at corporations and DAOs. Because we're at the very start of DAOs. And if you think back to the very start of corporations, the Dutch East India Corporation in the early 1600s, uh, they looked very different from the Facebooks of today. They were very much more like the nation state. And then over time, they developed into what we know as modern corporations. DAOs today are mostly just corporations in the blockchain. M most people are taking the same systems of, of work and centralized work, hierarchical work, and they're implementing them on chain and saying that's a DAO. Sure, that's the beginning but we can go much farther. And to understand this, let's look at the definitions. So this is a company, the corporate definition of a corporation, a company or group of people authorized to act as a single entity, legally a person, and recognized as such in law. So we don't have a great definition for DAOs. So we've been working, some colleagues and I in the Groundwork Network have been working on creating a new definition. This is one that I've been working on. It's not final, it's not accepted. It's just what makes most sense to me which is a decentralized network of autonomous agents coordinating resources with cryptographic fidelity. And so let's look at these two definitions together. Definition of a corporation, you can see helps distinguish it from a nation state. A group of people authorized with their own authorization, authorized by a higher power, by the nation, but they can act as a single entity, you know, and recognized by law. They have some type of independence from the nation state. So we need a definition for a DAO to do something similar. It needs to help us differentiate from corporations and to see maybe the essential features of a DAO and what it might be. So here's the definition split up. A decentralized network, decentralized, autonomous agents, autonomous, coordinating resources with cryptographic fidelity. That's the organization piece. Decentralization is it's the network topography. It's how the agents in that network are able to connect with each other. Then the next, the autonomy part, operational access. It's you know, how available and accessible are all the levers of power to the agents in that system. And the third one, process fidelity. Um, how trusted, repeatable, predictable, and transparent are the states and processes within that organization? Another way to think of it is like a road, a car, and a driver, right? The road network is open, the driver is capable, and the car is trustworthy. You can go anywhere. Fred Leloux, in his book, Reinventing Organizations, one of my favorite thinkers and organizations, amazing guy, 
you know, he's uh, he looked at the most advanced corporations around the world uh, over a few years, researched what processes they were using. These are really interesting places that do self-management, things like this. And he he um, he uh, synthesized these three uh, axes that that differentiated and defined what these teal organizations were like self-management, wholeness and evolutionary purpose. It turns out these are pretty similar, actually, to what we're seeing in DAOs. And the way that I've been starting to think about it is interconnection, how we connect with each other. It's not just about decentralization. If you're fully decentralized, that's the heat death of the universe. We need something in between, right? Sovereignty, what that means for each of us, and trust. So that's what DAOs are. Not all DAOs work in the same way, but I'm going to show you what I've learned from how Yearn works and some of the most adv advanced and developed and fully decentralized DAOs that I know of work. And the best metaphor, again, is biology. Cells are massively decentralized processing units. Um, corporations are generally tend to be kind of rigid hierarchical structures with limited bandwidth. Cells have tremendous bandwidth because all this shit is just mixing around happening in real time, you know, autonomously without bosses telling you what to do. So this is a ribosome, and this is how proteins are made within the cell. And within the cell, there's tRNA, mRNA, amino acids, ribosomes. Nobody's telling them all what to do. There's bottom-up and top-down processes, but they're all just at the same time in chaos, bumping into each other and making all these incredible complicated proteins. Permissionlessly. So let's break the definition up again and go through it in three steps. And I've fiddled with it a little bit to make it a little bit easier for this section. Starting with interconnection. So within a DAO, DAOs are networks. So these dots are each contributors to a DAO or members of a DAO. And in the middle, these are the people that are working, you know, full time all the time, the core contributors, which is usually a smaller group, maybe 20% of the entire network. Outside of that ring are people that are part-time contributors, maybe, maybe they're multi-sig signers, um, contractors, people that are active in the forum. And then outside of that are just maybe people that are just token holders that maybe throw a vote down every once in a while or, or say something interesting on Twitter. All of these dots are probably token holders, but there's different types of contribution, different levels of trust, different levels of engagement in all these rings. And some people think, oh, what you're trying to do is get everybody in that middle. No, that's, that's not the goal for DAOs, in my view. What you want to do is allow for freedom of movement between these spaces to be able to attract the most interesting, brilliant, capable, competent co contributors from the outside and, and help funnel them in if they want, and then allow people to move back and forth. These are the nodes of the network, the agents and resources in the network. These are the nodes. The edges in the network are, are the activity, that's action, the relationships, you know, the coordination of, of information through relationships. And together, that's the network. All DAOs are a network. Corporations are a network too. Networks can take different types of structures. So these are different network topologies. Um, as you can see, there's a tree structure there in the lower left. That's like what you might see from a normal corporation. It's hierarchical. And the truth is there's nothing wrong with hierarchy. We're not trying to make a flat. Um, we're not trying to say that the sun is the same size as the moon. They are different. I'm not trying to say that I have the same wisdom as a, you know, uh, quantum physics PhD. I don't. You know, and when I'm with that person, I'm going to defer to their expertise. That's natural flowing hierarchy, and that's extremely valuable. And then there's number six, a mesh network. This is what a lot of DAOs are like now, just very highly decentralized and chaotic. 
And then there's also a hybrid network. And you know, each of these types of networks are going to give rise to a different kind of structure, different type of behavior. So there's this really beautiful hypothesis, the Sapir-Whorf hypothesis made famous from the film Arrival. And it goes, the structure of a language affects its speaker's worldview or cognition, and thus people's perceptions are relative to their spoken language. Basically, the language constructs mind. And if you look at some studies of developmental disabilities in children, if you don't have certain words, you're not able to create certain uh, mental constructs. Um, and in DAOs, we're the words. So here's something I've been playing with. Uh, the structure of an organization affects its contributors' perception and autonomy. And thus, an organization's capabilities are relative to its structure. Basically, the way that your DAO is structured, the way that its network is connected, and all the other things are going to give rise to different levels of collective intelligence. So let's look at some of those different types of, of network structures. So this is a robot. A robot is, you know, kind of like a corporation. It's got a rigid control structure where there are dedicated sensors that send information up the chain to a processor that makes sense of it and then sends its commands and its electrical impulses to actuators then execute it perfectly. This is what corporations often are trying to be. This is a very limited type of bandwidth, a very limited type of collective intelligence. And quite brittle. This is the other side. This, where corporations are more centralized, this is massively decentralized. This is slime mold. A lot of DAOs are kind of like this. So slime mold's fascinating. It's actually, you know, some researchers have shown that it can solve the traveling salesman problem in linear time, not exponential time. It's capable of these incredible um, computational feats organically. And with each cell sensing and responding to its environment, making decisions on its own and sending those messages out to other cells. But this is kind of where I hope we're going. This is a fly brain. It's not totally decentralized, it's not totally centralized, it's somewhere in the middle. And it's capable of giving rise to incredible levels of uh, collective intelligence. We're not quite there yet. We're maybe more like this. This is a siphonophore, which is a colonial organism composed of medusoid and polypoid zooids uh, that are morphologically and functionally specialized. Thank you, Wikipedia. Beautiful, but the cool thing is they're actually different species. So like those pink things are one species, the yellow things another, the other. And this is kind of like yarn. You know, you've got the Y teams, which is one kind of organism. You've got wifey holders voting and the multi-sig and the bunny rabbit, all different species kind of working together to make something happen. Maybe this is where DAOs can be now. So that was interconnectedness. Now let's talk about the next one, sovereignty. Now this word has some baggage with it, right? Um, I think it's important to look at it through a developmental lens. So for a child, sovereignty might be the ability to control one's body. Um, and maybe for a young person, it's about dominion, you know, like a king having control of other people so they can't hurt you. And then you can develop further and maybe see that sovereignty is about uh, responsibility. It's about taking responsibility for your own emotions, your own desires, you know, not blaming other people for one's fate, you know, being a responsible, sovereign individual working with others, taking responsibility for my own stuff. So again, you know, all the nodes in the network, these are the agents and the resources. So let's start by defining agents. Agents can be human beings, they can be software objects, or they can be groups of human beings and or software objects. Because as we know, in, in DeFi and in, in, um, in crypto, smart contracts can make decisions, they can execute things, they can be agential. 
and resources, all different types of resources, cryptocurrency, smart contracts can be a resource too, something that receives, agents emit resources receive, right? And data, and also simps, because human beings are on the spectrum too. We can be agents, we can be sovereign, or we can be resources, we can be property. If we outsource um, responsibility for actions and feelings to other people, to a boss, to a father, to a memory, to people talking shit on Twitter, We've given away our sovereignty, right? Allowing other people to control us and, and becoming a property, essentially. Um, now, there's nothing wrong with giving access to one's feelings to other people, but to do it in the light, you know, with trust and consent. And in order to have sovereignty allows for us to move from the command and control architecture of corporations and nations and conquest to the sense and respond architecture, which is at the heart of a healthy DAO. And when you're sovereign in this DAO, like what the hell do you do? How do you know what to do? So many people have asked me this question. So I borrowed this uh, from the Japanese concept of Ikigai and adapted it to DAO. So when you're sovereign, when there's no boss telling you what to do in a DAO, how do you know what to do? You have to listen and you have to decide for yourself. And what you do is think about, well, what do you love? What are the things that you truly love doing? If you're doing that, your work is going to be better. What are you best at? You know, what can you be paid for? This stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's a market out there. The skills you can be paid for are going to be worth more generally to the DAO. And then what does the DAO need? Right? And you can find that on message boards and discords and uh, bug bounties, all these different things. Anything in that red area is what you should be doing. And every action within a DAO is part of its dance of coordination. All of these edges are active coordination happening within the network. And like, let's look in detail at that action. This is kind of the anatomy of decentralized work. All actions, you know, are between multiple agents and resources in the DAO to a certain extent. And in order to understand what, how to take action in a DAO, I've borrowed another concept. This is uh, Betty Martin's Wheel of Consent, which comes from sacred sexuality as a way to understand deep consent in relating to other people sexually. Um, the same thing can be said for any type of... Um, collaboration. And interestingly, in corporations, the people on top are on the right. They're the ones that take and accept. And the people on the bottom are on the left. They're the ones that serve and allow. They give to their bosses. And But in a DAO, you, that barrier is torn down. You can be an owner. You can be a worker. You get to choose. So it's a new, that's why this is an important thing to look at, because relationships and contribution can emerge through all different places on this. So let's take a few examples. Say there's a contributor um, and they're in the Discord and they're saying, you know, I can't find the financials. Like, is that a contribution or is it interference? Um, in this case, the DAO has an aversion to this. This is interference. This is not useful, right? That's not a contribution. But in another case, it might be a contribution. That contributor taking taking space and energy from the other people in the uh, in the DAO might be useful because maybe the DAO is like, oh, somebody else in the DAO is like, oh, wow, the, the link is broken on the website. Let me go fix that. So that has become a contribution now. Depends on the context. Or maybe you're a designer and you want to create a logo for a DAO, but nobody likes your logo and no logo is needed, so it's not contributing. Or, you know, in that case, you're taking. But here, in a different case, you could be serving. You say, I want to... Uh, I, like I'm a good designer, or maybe the DAO wants you to provide a logo, but you're not quite sure. You're outside that circle of consent. You don't want to give the logo to the DAO for no reason. 
But then if the DAO adds in some money, then, you know, maybe yes, now you're in consent. Now you can make that contribution for the DAO. An example of allowing, perhaps, you know, you're a fantastic developer and um, you have a private repo that you could share with the DAO to help them. That's, you know, passive and giving, and that might be valuable to the DAO. It's another way to contribute. Or if, you know, you don't want to, don't share it. It's all up to you. And you can contribute by accepting as well. Airdrops. DAOs do airdrops all the time. That's because it's valuable for the DAO. Or maybe it's a shitcoin. So how do you know if it's a contribution? If we look more closely, um, the anatomy of, of contribution and action within a DAO, all actions start with an inspiration of some sort. And this is the, the sense and respond, the, the weight and the action, the zero and the one. The inspiration leads to execution and then another reflection period of evaluation. And the evaluation might be automatic, unconscious in the shadow, or it might be a specific process. There might be a grants committee or a coordinate or something like that. And then once that evaluation has happened, in whichever way it happens, there's generally a completion. It might be a payment. It might merge a pull request. Who knows? So this is the, the structure for permissionless actions within a DAO. When it gets to permissioned actions, it gets a little bit more complicated. Um, but this here is the kind of atomic unit of action and decentralized work. Starts with inspiration. And if this is something that requires uh, permission, something gated, you have to make a proposal. And then there's a decision-making process. And if that goes through, it becomes execution, then evaluation and completion. It can go back, keep going. The lines can connect between each other too. But this decision-making piece is pretty fascinating. It's one of the things that we really learned a ton about in Yearn. There's all different types of decisions, and there's tons of different decision-making processes. We're very familiar with, uh, with token-weighted voting, but there's also something called the advice process. There's rough consensus. There's consent. There's game mechanics like coordinate. There are many, many different ways to make decisions, which is good because the space of decision-making is very vast. There's many dimensions to it. Not every de decision is the same. There are some actions which should be permissioned. There are some that should be, pub that should be private, um, some that should be off-chain, some on-chain, fast and slow, insignificant. Uh, this one is like, what's the potential impact of a decision? Is it insignificant or could it be catastrophic? Um, does the impact of this decision affect just one person or does it affect every member? All the different positions on these axes means that you need a different way often to make those decisions and those decision making, the consensus mechanics, as well as the, you know, the empowerment of the people. And this was the foundation of what Gabe and I did in Governance 2, Constrained Delegation. So what we saw at Yearn is that we had to kind of thread the needle between both making sure that wifey holders had ultimate power and control over everything that was going on and individual people that were at the core of this thing, working their asses off, could be empowered to do what they knew was best because we trusted those people. It's a very high trust network. You don't want it, but you don't want to trust them with everything. You, you know, you, you need to have the multi-sig or you want to have unchained voting or some method of, of creating a trusted envelope, but then be able to delegate powers to people and allow them to do stuff with it in a transparent system of accountability. And that's what this does. So instead of delegating voting power, we delegate specific decision-making powers. And any group of people can say, hey, we want to execute this type of power for Yearn. And they can make a proposal. They can carve that power out of the stack and start working on it. And they might need to have specific reporting requirements, whatever. Wifey holders don't like it, they can take the power back. And this is the kind of foundation of this new form of governance. We've been working on it now for a year. And it's gone 
really well. There's still a lot to, to, to improve and bumpy in some ways, but you know, it's starting to be adopted by tons of DAOs. And then later we developed Coordinate, which is a, uh, it's a DAO tool for doing decentralized compensation because compensation is actually one of the hardest decisions to make in a, de in a truly decentralized way. Most DAOs kind of do compensation in the back room and then they rubber stamp it on the forum. To do it really decentralized is hard. Um, and so just coordinate was one way to do that. There's a kind of novel consensus mechanic where all the members of a circle can decide to add new members through decentralized vouching, and they can reward each other through giving a poker chip-like token called give. Uh, and then the total allocation directly results in the distribution of funds. So this, you know, all of this comes back to this, you know, the action unit, the anatomy of contribution. And one of the fascinating things is that it's fractal, right? If you look in each of these nodes and each of these edges, it's the same, the same cycle. And turns out that the network is fractal too. But a better word for it is holarchic. Um, this is a concept from Arthur Kostler. A holon is something that's both a whole and a part. You know, the cells in my body, they are whole beings on their own, and they are a part of something larger. Me as a person, I am a whole being, and I'm a part of Yearn. I'm a part of Coordinate. I'm a part of Lexpunk. I'm part of all these different DAOs. And, you know, this creates this structure of fractal sovereignty. The autonomy needs to go all the way down the stack to give rise to the most powerful, most healthy DAOs. And now as, you know, these artificial constructs uh, and the nature of, of the firm has changed, the shape of work is changing too. So this is a kind of social physics. If, if people aren't constrained into specific roles and they can relate to anyone and collaborate with anyone, the nature of work, the shape of work changes, the surface tension changes because the more people, together, I got this from Richard Bartlett, the more people um, together, the more relationships there are. So, you know, one relationship, two people, one relationship. Uh, five people, 10 relationships, seven people, 21 relationships. Every one of those lines is a different place for conflict, tension, mistrust, misunderstanding to arise. It makes it harder and harder and harder to collaborate. But because, you know, it turns out corporations are these strange, distended creatures, right? Um, with these weird, long chain decision-making processes. But the more biological DAO, uh, that coefficient of friction has changed. And you know, we're seeing new working patterns emerge. This is also from, from Rich, from his micro-solidarity work, where there's small work groups that can be part of bigger congregations, bigger crews and bigger congregations and networks. This is the kind of sub-DAO thing that we're actively figuring out. So that's the how. Uh, sorry, that's almost all the how. That was the uh, sovereignty. The last part is trust, which is really the most important um, part of DAOs, the thing that separates them corp from corporations the most and starts, you know, in the blockchain. But we can think of it as trust or fidelity, which is, you know, how, how repeatable is something? How good is the memory? How transparent is it? How much can you trust the DAO? How do you much do you know that your work will go somewhere valuable, that, that you'll get rewarded if they say you will, that you aren't being tricked? Um, this is incredibly important. Um, I think of, you know, and it's all in DAOs, it's so powerful because of the innovation of blockchain and, and blockchain, you know, is like the Higgs boson of intersubjective space. This is, this is the Higgs, it's the subatomic particle responsible for giving matter mass, 
right? Imagine matter without mass. Who knows what that would be like? But because it is physical, like we can act on it, we have consensus reality around it. And we'd never had that in the collective space until blockchain, because blockchain gives memes mass. And this is a profound thing. Memes are not just a joke. Memes are like the genes of the collective space. And the collective space is just as alive as the individual space. We just don't see it in the same way. Before, we had to rely on text and magnetic platters, uh, on jurisprudence, on governments, and centralized power holders for our trust method. But now we can rely on blockchain. It's such a stronger foundation. Um, it's like going from RNA to DNA, right? RNA is, is highly mutable. It can degrade over time. But DNA is this incredibly robust storage medium. And that change goes from like the ability to create a virus to the ability to create a human being. Like that's the level of change that blockchain enables. Now that we've looked at all of this stuff, we understand these three axes of downness, interconnectedness, sovereignty, and trust. Let's go back and look at corporations again and the difference between DAOs and corporations. Those four circles are the network diagram. The one on the left, so this, let's start with the private company. All three layers are closed. You know, the private company, all the shareholders are decided through a centralized system, the board of directors, the employees. Um, the trust model is really based on how much you trust that company because they can hide reporting from the government. government. Um, and the sovereignty of the individuals are, depends on whatever the centralized power holders decide. Who can do what, who can do something else. And so that's like the most closed. The next one over is a public company. So now the outer circle is is opened. The outer circle is decentralized. You can buy shares of Apple. You can permissionlessly, mostly, become a shareholder to be a part owner of something. But then the inner circles are still both closed, right? There's, um, you know, the the board of directors, the you know, the people in the out in the middle sphere. That's generally still closed off. And uh, the trust model is a little bit better, but now you're relying on the trust model of the government government that is uh, supporting this. And the sovereignty of the people is depends on whatever the you know centralized power structure decides. So here's DAOs. DAOs have this remarkable feature of uh, you know decentralized tokens and blockchain and and voting and and that happens all in a much more decentralized way. Um, but you know most DAOs today, even, like there's an important difference between governing an immutable contract and governing an entire group of creative workers. So we can look to examples of fully decentralized immutable contracts which are the governance surface area is quite small. So you can do it all on chain with one single channel voting process. That makes sense. That is fully decentralized, but it really depends on where you think the center of that DAO is. If the center of the DAO is the immutable contract, yes, it's fully decentralized, but what about the private corporation, the development corporation and the VCs and the, you know, the big power holders in the background? That's actually where the center tends to be most of the time. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It should be put into the light more often, but you can be centralized if you want. So most DAOs have this closed center and most, you know, creative teams behind DAOs operate in the same way that corporations have operated for, you know, for 50 years. This last one is also a DAO, but this is what I believe is the future of a DAO. This is what a DAO could be like when interconnection, sovereignty, and trust go all the way through it. This is more like what urine is like, but there's places where urine doesn't meet all of these criteria. We're still early. You know, our trust model could be improved. Our sovereignty and interconnection, all of it could be improved. But the central part is decentralized and open and very much permissionless, or a lot of it. 
So we've gone through the what and the what and the how. So let's get to the last piece, right? The why. Why do DAOs matter? Why not just do a corporation? Well, you can. You can do a corporation. That's fine. Um, but DAOs in many ways are a better story. They're more trusted. You know, they're, they allow for people to find their own way into it. That's better for people today in many ways. It's the best fiction we have for coordinating whole, sovereign, evolved human beings. Because development goes in the other direction too. The many can act as one. You know, we can all come together to create intelligence. And what we want is to create the most intelligence that we can together. We want, the, our drive is to be able to contribute. It's not just about making money. People want to make money, but people want to contribute. And they want to know that their contributions are valuable and they'll go somewhere. You want to be able to put together in something unified that has strength and intelligence and the ability to progress, right? With fractal sovereignty through the whole hierarchy. hierarchy. This is the, the nature of development, the story of development. And it becomes more clear when you look at the foundation of these organisms, right? So the corporation rests on this pyramid at the base layer is government and then jurisprudence. And from that you have finance and property law. And on top of that, the corporation can emerge. The DAO has a new foundation. DAO is developmentally in the same sequence with corporation. At the base, it's got the internet or maybe digital computation on top of that blockchain. And from here, DeFi and NFTs can emerge and then DAOs on top. It is a much better foundation, a much stronger foundation. And the more, the stronger the foundation, the more coherent the mind on top of it that can happen, which is, you know, on the right here, person is, that's the even, that's an even stronger foundation, chemistry, physics, DNA, blood and body, and then person. That's the type of mind that can emerge from that strong of a foundation that far in the developmental ladder. Because a person is actually in the collective space also. We just see it from the top, not from the bottom. So these are these DAOs. This is the potential future for collaborative work. Um, you know, we're going to need the strongest foundation uh, for the networks to be able to contribute into these things. And, you know, we really don't know what it's going to be like in this this logic of development, although true, is not without its pauses. You know, time's arrow does go all the way, but not every life form makes it, right? Not every planet's going to make it. Not every corporation or DAO is going to make it. We might not see the, you know, full form of a DAO, but I know it's out there somewhere. Because we're at this, at this phase now where we have expanded to the edge of the Petri dish. Um, so some bacteria, when they grow on a medium like a petri dish they start with one phase of work which is like conquest and they grow very very fast and when they hit the edge the metabolism changes there's now limited resources chemical signals travel back through the entire colony and they change how they work they go into balance with their environment rather than conquest and that's what we need to do now and that's i believe what DAOs are capable of um, we need to as charles eisenstein says move from mother earth to lover earth you know, as children, we took from the mother and now we've grown. Now it's time to be in relationship with the mother, to give with, into, with the earth as a lover, as a partner. Um, otherwise, you know, we, we can't, you know, command and control, which has been the nature of, of civilization for a long time, is very aggressive. Both of them are emitting. Sense and respond is listening, listening. It's more balance. You know, it brings more of the balance into the way that we could 
that we could act. You know, corporations like militaries, like they create these extre extremely distended structures. When you when you they become abstracted, the body of the corporation is abstracted, dissociated from the world of the corporation because of these artificial barriers to different people's cognitive sovereignty or the cognitive capabilities and their personal sovereignty. They can't make decisions for themselves. They have to pass things up the ladder. You look at Dan Ariely's work on, um, on lying and cheating or on Enron. You can see that these types of abstractions lead to these types of bad behaviors. And from one lens, you can say, ah, oh, they're killing everybody. But from another lens, you see that actually this was important. The nature of the corporation is the thing in the, in the state, although violent in so many ways, that's what allowed us to, to cohere. That has created globalization. That is that is wired this whole planet so that we can transcend into this new digital space, which I think might have been a precursor for the next phase. Just as, you know, the caterpillar eats and eats and eats. This is something I got from Daniel Schmachtenberger, and you think it's going to explode, but then it does something totally different, and it spins a cocoon, and its body breaks down into a cellular slurry, and imaginal cells come and rewire it into a butterfly, and it turns into something totally different. So I think the corporation phase is over. We have now reached the edge of the dish and we have to rewire ourselves into something else. And the Tao, if anything, can do it. It's the Tao. There's another way to look at this, which is, you know, Eliza Yukowski's work on inadequate equilibrium. If you look at the game theory of our planet, you know, these, these Nash equilibria, these, you know, all these different players with playing their different strategies and we're stuck in these inadequate equilibriums, these inadequate Nash equilibrium, you can't get out. The only way to, because if any individual player changes their strategy, it's just worse for them. These multipolar tracks, traps that, that make us stuck as a civilization. Um, the only way to change that is to change the whole game, right? Blockchain is potentially for that, is a potential for that, as are DAOs, um, or as changing the consciousness. You know, you can change your consciousness. You can see beyond the game. So, so final thought. Um, this is a quote from Thich Nhat Hanh that, has really inspired me. And he says, you know, the next Buddha may be a Sangha. Um, and in Buddhism, there's these three um, jewels, the, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. The Buddha is the teacher, the enlightened master. The Dharma is the teachings of all the previous masters. And the Sangha is your partners on the journey. And you need all three. And the idea that these Taoists might turn into these enlightened organisms, you know, capable of, of bringing more balance to our life again is something that it's why I wake up every day. So thank you. Trake, that was an incredible presentation. Um, as with any disruptor, it's going to take me a few times to go through it to really understand the gravity, but just loved your comparisons, your metaphors, uh, the references to biology. It was kind of amazing. So I'll start off with a couple of questions for you, and then I'll add in a couple from the group. But I guess one question for me is um, everything you're describing here, when does this become normal for people, right? Like when does this become plug and play? They just show up. They don't have to understand everything you're describing, which is incredible. But when does it become second nature to them where it's just how they interact with the world? I think it'll it'll come in phases probably and, and come over time. I think as consumers, people will start interacting with DAOs pretty soon um, as consumers of media, as consumers of content. But as active workers, contributors to DAOs, it'll take longer. The barrier to entry of the user experience of blockchain tech, you know, dApps, all this stuff is pretty significant. Understanding, you know, how to be responsible with your own funds, with your own wallet, the UX around wallets and addresses. I mean, that stuff is is going to take some time. Um, but as that starts to spread more, um, 
I mean, I don't know if I put a time on it. I, I mean, I think we're going to see massive change in the next five years. And, you know, DAOs will be probably pretty common within five years. And then, you know, maybe over the next 10 years, they might start to really, really disrupt the corporate model. But don't don't hold me to that. Do you think we'll ever get to a place? <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry, I won't. But do, do you? When do you think we'll get to a place where people identify with DAOs on a global level? Right? They no longer identify with a country or a geographical region, but they identify with themselves as their place and their role within a DAO. Yeah, I think that's happening already. I mean, like I have more. Uh, I identify more with my family at Yearn and Coordinate than I do with um, you know being a U.S. citizen in many ways. Um, and it's a great question because I think that, you know, the future of DAOs is a really fascinating one. And I, I didn't put a lot of this kind of speculative stuff into the talk, but, you know, we see all different types of DAOs in the world, right? There's service DAOs, there's social DAOs, there's protocol DAOs. And, um, I imagine this future where we're part of all these different circles and we've got a, maybe a, a physical level DAO. These are the people that we're around every day, the people that make our food and, you know, and, and teach our children, um, and then we're going to have interest group DAOs of science fiction fans, and we're going to have work DAOs, um, and we will we will identify with all of them in different ways. And w uh, one that might be the most important is going to be where the money is. You know, the financial union DAOs that could really destabilize everything. That might be what we identify with the most. Will be kind of a new type of modular politics. One question from a past disruptor guest, Brooks Brown of Nor, was that. Governance votes within DAOs are commonly thought of in the traditional one vote, one coin method to mirror the real world, kind of like one man, one vote idea. Given that mirrors, you know, pretty poorly, are there other models you might explore or, or that you're interested in for handling governance voting? Yeah, I mean, I think Vitalik has written some really great critique over token weighted voting. Um, and part of the reason you can look at one of his recent, I think it's why coin voting sucks. Um, and there's a few reasons why. It's not, one is that you can disintermediate the uh, economic value and the voting power through wrapping, you know, and you can sell votes. And that stuff hasn't happened very much yet, but surely it will. Another reason why coin voting works now and it it won't it maybe isn't so great is because we're still very early and there's a lot of camaraderie in the space. But these these systems are easily manipulated. Um, so while they have been effective and they have they do work in a lot of cases, um, they're not going to last. And so. But it doesn't mean that token voting doesn't have a part, a piece to play. Kind of going back to one of my previous slides and looking at all the different types of decisions, the whole decision-making space, different consensus mechanics are going to be good for different types of decisions. We have to create a heterogeneous architecture of decision-making bodies, right? And we'll be using different types of consensus mechanisms, reputation-weighted voting, like is implemented in Colony um, in other places, uh, could be really useful. Um, using multi-sigs, you know, with elections, with delegate, delegated representatives like like um, Synthetics does or like the Pods uh, project. Um, there's a lot of uh, really interesting possibilities that are all emerging now. We're all trying. Uh, so there'll be a lot of development there. Definitely a lot to try out. Another question from Sarah Brennan, who's our general counsel on the venture side, is that there is this beautiful utopian version, or sorry, vision of DAOs that's being advanced. Um, obviously, a lot of what you shared in your presentation. How do you deal with frictions, protecting against bad actors? Like, what are the edge cases or what are the guardrails that we have in place to protect against the bad things or the bad people that might enter the system? Yeah, I think um, the first thing I'll say is that people will do bad things, always. And that's okay. 
um, going back to biology, DNA does mutate sometimes. It's actually part of the system. Um, what you want is a system that's robust enough that it can accommodate all these different types of actors. And uh, that's part of what we're learning how to do. Um, you know, the, the, the traditional governance, the, the, the legacy governments use jails. You know, DAOs, I think we can do a lot better. Um, uh, Claire Graves' work on spiral dynamics, you know, he, he looked at um, post-apartheid South Africa and tried to, how, how do you create a system of governance for this, the, this diverse group of people and realize that there's people, and this is true across the board, and specific, uh, very much so in DeFi, you've got people from all different worldviews coming together to coordinate. And when we're on Twitter or on Telegram or Discord, you don't know necessarily that one person's a 13-year-old from India, one person's a 70-year-old like banker in America, um, one person's a spiritual guru, another person like you know punches his friends. Like everyone's coming from different places. The goal is not to make everyone become a guru. The goal is to create a robust enough structure that can accommodate both adversarial environments and collaborative high trust environments that has things that has levers that people that are children can push to make a contribution. I think of it as like, I call it a party bike. Like a party bike, you can have 10 people all sitting around a table pedaling and anyone can pedal as much or as little as they want. One person steers and you kind of get somewhere good. It, it, the nature of that structure harvests everybody's sovereign work activity and coheres it into a, a direction. DAOs have the potential to create structures that can accommodate all these different types of people, the entire ship. And, um, and bad actors are a part of that, but they will, can, there will be hacks, you know, that's part of how we grow, right? We're, we're, we're forged in the fire of this stuff and we're every day we're learning how to do it better. I, I guess it would be bad if there were no bad actors, right? You have no one hardening the system, nobody actually improving it. So one of the other things I had was you have such a great grasp of everything happening within a DAO, your vision. For me, it's so complicated. For new people to a DAO, it's so confusing, right? When do we get to a point where somebody shows up and it's just easy, right? It's just simple because, frankly, everything you shared is incredible, but I highly doubt that most are going to understand that, that that exists, but it will power, obviously, the next DAOs. Yeah, so most of my talk is not like a newcomer user manual. It's more of like a, uh, a designer's handbook for like thinking about how to make DAOs uh, and how to make governance systems. Um, there's a lot of people doing great work on onboarding people into DAOs, like Forefront and tons of other OXX. Um, there's so, so much. And, um, but it's hard. It's really hard. And it's, it's, it might be hard for a while. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of people want to like, like, let's get there already, you know, like let's deploy this into, uh, you know, some uh, underprivileged community and, and have them use it. And it's like, yes, I, I see where your heart's at. I love that. And we're not there yet. I mean, you, Go ahead, try it. But like, maybe, maybe it'll work. But, um, <laughs> but there's a lot to learn first, and that doesn't mean that we have to do it ourselves. Everybody's welcome to work on this, but we can't expect it to uh, be ready for some of these higher, challenging environments that soon. So soon, I mean, it'll, it'll take some time. It's very confusing. Do you think Urine is at a place right now where Bantag, Andre, you can leave, and it would persist and move forward? Oh yeah. What do you think the impact would be? Absolutely. I mean, Andre hasn't contributed to urine much in a long time. Um, and I, I stepped away for la a quarter and, you know, I, I'm, you know, not one of the most important people at urine by a long shot. Um, there are tons of people. We've got a team now of like 50, uh, core contributors that are incredible. 
um, tons of redundancy. So a lot of what we've worked on is creating more and more robust decentralization. Like we're very committed to this um, and to redundancy and to make sure that information doesn't accrue in one place and our systems are you know, robust uh, and secure. That's what we work on all the time. Um, so yeah, I, if, I, if I left, uh, sad to say, me leaving probably wouldn't, wouldn't change too much. Um, there's a lot of stuff I want to do. I, do you, I think somebody else would do it differently, maybe not as well, but but they'd be fine. Do you think that's a pretty big difference versus the corporate structure? I mean, in a corporation, in a general business, if one of the leads leaves or is fired or takes a vacation, stuff kind of comes to a standstill, right? But the way you're describing urine is where you can leave for three months and come back and you're still moving forward in the interim. Yeah, because, you know, I'm not the leader of urine. I, I never have been. Um, you know, I am one of many leaders. It's a leaderful organization. We've got 50 leads at Yearn, and I'm in the middle there of them. Um, you don't know a lot of their names because not all of them uh, love to talk about stuff like this like I do. Um, but um, it, it is different. We're in, in a corporation. That's part of the brittleness of a corporate structure where you have these people on top that are responsible for making all the decisions. At Yearn, we all make the decisions, and there's some that are gated, but those are also decentralized. Like, I'm not even a, a, a voter on any of the Y teams. Like... Like there's different people that do different things. Um, so it's super different and way more robust than a corporation. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's definitely a different a different feel. Another question we had from Avi, who's a venture associate, venture side is what tools and infrastructure will enable DAOs to make a stepwise improvement in their efficiency or coordination? I guess what are the tools that are infra that's most important to you or that you see as the most valuable? Yeah, there's there's a lot. I and mean, there's been a, a huge explosion of, of uh, DAO tooling. Um, I said pods before, but it's Orca protocol. I, I love what they're doing. They're doing, you know, kind of wrapped multi-sig uh, consensus mechanisms with NFT gating um, as a way to do delegated decision-making very much in the model of governance too. There's also Gnosis Zodiac, which is a infrastructure for putting together different modules within a governance architecture. It's also kind of inspired by governance too, certainly on other things as well. And um, so there's a lot of work being done on uh, decision making and with better, you know, there's things like boardroom and tally too that help you see different um, governance processes. And then there's coordinate, which is a way to do decentralized compensation. Um, there's just so many. There's this whole space of, of DAO tooling, um, which, you know, will make the DAO more and more efficient. And there's... A lot of them and not all the tools are great and like a lot of the tools are basically just taking legacy corporate models and putting it on chain you know with sign in with ethereum and integration with a, a wallet um, that's fine but we need to get to the space of down native tooling the clarity is a, is a project i love it's kind of like a down native notion um, or a task tracker that's doing amazing stuff so um we're getting there yeah Last question for me, um, unless others post, but one comparison that I really liked doing your presentation was the idea of the biology example, right? You have all these cells within a human body, all these building blocks, they're all doing exactly what they need to do at the right time. With a DAO, the comparison for me breaks down a little, right? Because you have people, but they can do many things, right? They're not constricted by you know, their DNA or what they're built from. Do you envision there being guardrails for what people can and can't do to kind of fit into this biology example? Or is there more flexibility and freedom there? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good point. And, you know, I have to say that, like, there are some problems with using these biological models. Like, uh, I was talking to Daniel Schmachtenberger about this in Denver, 
uh, talking about Dave Snowden's work on anthro complexity and basically saying like, look, like human beings are at a level of complexity and development that we do not have any exa other examples for. And trying to say that we're like a, you know, like a yeast growing is like, is ridiculous. It's, it's, it's a different level. You can't apply logic from one to another. I disagree in some ways and agree in some ways. I think that, like I said, the, the logic of development is, does have a pattern to it. And uh, we can learn from some of these different phases, but, um, but you're right. Like uh, we, 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 people are not tRNA. They're not just there to bind to one amino acid. They are doing many, many different things. I think, you know, we can look at it kind of uh, inspirationally or metaphorically or metonymically, like the people in a DAO in the future, there will be rails, but what we need to make is the minimal viable structure. You know, we need to create structures that are robust, but have the greatest access for permissionlessness um, and that are as clear as possible. And the idea is that if these structures are good enough. It's like the party bike. People can just flow in. They can do something and flow out. You know, and the, the future of work, which is what Coordinate is developed, developed for, is one in which I hint at a bit in the presentation, you know, the... I forgot to even say this part actually like corporations like the co the coast article from 37 the nature of the firm like why do corporations create mass why do they have vertical integration it's because of the logic of overhead and the friction of you know the technologies that supported uh large-scale work but that has changed so much and that friction is no longer there so the work groups you know become smaller and smaller and, and you don't need to have this protective layer like the corporation in the same way anymore and what we see actually working in DAOs is that they're extremely collaborative, right? We're all kind of on the same team. That's the amazing thing. And because of composability, because one person can make the data layer and then different teams can put their data into it and share it out of that. And it, that makes everybody stronger. So it feels like often when meeting with other teams that actually like we're in this, it's like we're different divisions of the same company. We're different divisions of Apple or something we've never met before. Totally separate financial models, but we're working together. Um, and... I actually lost my train of thought there, but um, can you remind me of the question? No, it, yeah. did I get it? What you were sharing was was awesome. No, I I totally got it from where you were going there. Cool. Um, I, yeah, I guess the other thing for me would be, I asked you earlier on, you know, when people show up and they're a part of a DAO in this new world and how it works. There are a lot of teams out there that aren't going to do what you're describing, right? That aren't going to follow this vision. That will have a corporate hierarchy. They'll have a CEO. They'll have a founder. They'll have a multi or not have a multi sig, right? Do you think people will start to like subconsciously move toward the DAOs that are actually trustless, that do compensation on coordinate, that are decentralized by working groups, because they'll just be put off by the traditional, you know, copy paste corporate model used in, you know, fake DAOs? I'm trying to get a sense of if people are just going to, hey, you know, this is what I was used to. I'm actually going to go to the new world here. Well, I think there's a few ways to think about that. One is um, like there are people on the planet today that think the best use of their time is to go get into a tank and shoot a Ukrainian building, right? So there are people of all different perspectives on the planet, and that will still be the case. And some of those people will want to start a corporation. DAOs don't replace the things that come before. They transcend and include them, right? So, but in order for... So they're going to attract by their nature uh, people at specific developmental levels that you know, communities that want to form with other people of like minds, and they're going to want to operate in a certain way, people with more sovereignty, you know, with more of a desire for being sovereign agents among other sovereign agents, without wanting to tell people what to do that don't need to protect themselves from harm, 
you know, that they are available emotionally, you know, and cognitively and more integrated and want to work in this kind of new way. The people that are unhappy with the, uh, the, the work masks of normal corporate life and want to be their whole being, you know, with their magic in the Tao. Um, they want to express their femininity, their masculinity, whatever, you know, in the way, in the way that they work together. So it's going to be attractive for people like that. And, you know, we can look back to, uh, you know, postmodernism. We can look to the counterculture revolution in the 60s. And you can see that that kind of emerged from a, a change in global consciousness. After a certain amount of people have, you know, reached new levels of consciousness, you know, this kind of sensitive egalitarian view, it creates entire new political movements. And we're kind of at another phase now, this kind of integral tier um, or teal consciousness or whatever you want to call it. Where people are are gravitating towards these kind of self-sovereign modes of, of interacting and relating with each other. And the Tao is the only place, like these types of real, true, deep Tao's, that's the only place for people like this. Um, but not just that, the other piece is that they have to outcompete. They have to create better products, right? Or else people aren't gonna like them. And and they do, and they can, and they will. Trick, I guess you throwing my VC hat on, it sounds like we need to be positioned in projects that are leaning into everything you're describing, right? Founders that are okay firing themselves and giving up control, projects that allow people to come and go, you know, all of everything you're describing, it sounds like if that's going to be the new way in a big way, we need to look for projects as VCs, but also individual stakeholders have to position themselves in projects where they can grow in such a way like that you're describing, right? So when you get to the edge of the Petri dish, there are the resources there to grow in the way that you want to. Do you think that, you know, not to throw an investor head on you, but would you be more or less, I'm assuming you'd be more bullish the projects that are leaning into everything you're describing versus those that are trying to maintain some type of strict hierarchy or constraints within their projects? A hundred percent. So I, I think, you know, you still need product market fit, right? You still need to have a, a, a smart team, that's capable with a great product, you know, that's needed in the world. Um, but then my, my investment thesis is really the ones that are um, communities, uh, teams that are pushing the limits of interconnectedness, of sovereignty and trust um, of, of DAOs, you know, if they're pushing the spectrum of DAOs further, they're going to outcompete the other ones um, because it's going to be the DeFi native, the crypto native you know, people that are working like you, like I said before, you can you can take the old models, the rigid corporate control structures, and you can take the um, um, those tools, the ways that, that we've ha had to handle because we've developed. This is something I see a lot in DAOs and a lot at Yearn and in myself, too, is that we are at the beginning of this thing. It's very formless and it's confusing. So we fall back on what we know, what we know. And so we take we project our experiences onto this new space when it really doesn't necessarily need them. And so we try and do KPIs and we try and do uh, payroll management and, and report direct reports and all these things that work in corporation. We try and do it in DAOs and you can make it work in DAOs, but DAOs can do even better. And, you know, I'm not saying anything's wrong with any of those pieces. Some of them can really work, but it's the teams that are creating the DAO native ways of working that are going to outcompete. Uh, so that's from an investor perspective. That's what I'd look for. I couldn't agree more. Definitely more of a near-term lift, but definitely well worth it on the long-term. Yeah, a lot of volatility near-term probably too, because we're still figuring it out, but long-term, yeah. Agreed. So last question for you from Rob Sarrow on our, our ventures team is, 
I guess transparent compensation and DAOs are net positive, but it forces the conversation about how we should value the work that was performed by an individual agent. Do you think that these decisions should be localized early on, like by the early contributors or totally permissionless from the get-go? You know, it's a good question. Um, so I, I think you can go in different ways. And the, the truth is that we don't have enough decentralized permissionless compensation tools available yet. We're building that with Coordinate, and it's good for some things, and it's not good for everything. Um, so at Yearn, for instance, right now, today, you know, we're at the end of a massive experiment in, in decentralized compensation, where all of the doers, the kind of core team, um, are self-setting their salary, their, their, their compensation uh, through this iterative process of feedback. And man, it's painful <laughs> because we're having all these conversations of, what's valuable to us and giving each other feedback that we haven't given before. And it's been stressful for me and for other people too. And so I just, first thing I say is it's not easy, um, but it's worth it. Like the trust that it builds, the, um, those conversations are important to have, but there's a lot of conflict. You know, I've been in conflict with a few different people over the past few days and there's probably more, but healthy conflict processing is important. I'm sorry, I'm going on a bit of a tangent. But to the specific question, um, I think it's okay if you do it in a simple way. You don't like, look, what are you trying to do? Like, like don't spend all your energy trying to like reinvent every wheel. Like at the beginning, you know, just figure out a simple compensation thing. Don't worry about it and just work. Let yourself work. Then like figure out how to do it better as you grow and be thinking about like use coordinate from the beginning or tools like it so that you start playing with these decentralized systems. And then finding, you know, we don't have the best system. There's no system available yet that does all this stuff. So once it's there, use it. Do you, uh, as a follow-up question, do you run into a lot of issues where people will, instead of building what they want and what they think is valuable, build the thing that they think they will get most compensated for within the DAO? Like, would that cause issues between what people want to build versus what you actually need? Yeah, so th I think if that's what's going on, that's not the problem. The problem is the culture, right? So uh, you can have an adversarial environment where people are gaming each other. Um, and then, you know, that's that's a cultural issue in the DAO. And, you know, you can't fix that with a tool. You know, you, you fix that in conversation with each other and by leaving um, uh, or by starting something new, leading by example or forgiving. Um, there will be bad actors. There will be people that game the system. There will be adversarial environments. Um, but, you know, the, what I've seen at Yearn is that almost like everyone, everyone is trying to make the thing that they think is best for Yearn. And there's almost no, if any, I can't think of any gaming that's happened. Um, it's, but that's the culture that we have. We have an incredible culture. And it's not alone. There's other DAOs like this too. Um, so um, yeah, basically that stuff can happen and it will. Um, just like any corporation, there's good ones and there's ones that are harder. To your point though, to protect and mitigate that, you have to have a large focus on actually scaling the culture and embedding that in every new entrant that joins. And that has to get hard as you start to grow, right? Oh, absolutely. This is another thing we're thinking about a lot at Yearn right now. It's like, we don't think that our way of working right now can scale a lot more in terms of the team size, because the it goes back to that kind of social physics. Like you bring more people in there, there's more conflict, less trust. Like we have an extremely high trust group right now. 
and I don't mean with like with user funds, that was all part of a different security envelope. I mean, just in like trusting each other that we're doing good work and et cetera. Um, so figuring out how to scale that is a super active topic. Um, there's the idea of sub DAOs and of, of you know different work groups and how that fits into compensation and work and et cetera, et cetera, very much actively under evolution. Tariq, if somebody is starting a project today and believes in your vision, but understands that not all of the tools are there to pull it off yet, and there's a lot of education and learning that has to take place to get there, what would you recommend to them as a step one to implement what your vision is, but while understanding that they obviously can't do all this from the get-go, right? How do, how do they set the right foundation, I guess, is my question. You know, you're talking about people that are trying to create a, a new DAO or new project. Exactly. Yeah. yeah because it, it gets really hard to fix this after they implement a foundation or a culture a couple months or years down the yeah, line. It's, it's tricky. I mean, I think the first thing I'd say is, is, um, is spend some time in, in other DAOs and learn from them. Like, um, you don't want to just like come into it and try and do it all from scratch, like, um, contribute to DAOs. And even as you're building your new DAO, contribute to other DAOs. Cause I think that that's another key piece to the kind of future work is that we're working on multiple different projects, all, all of us and moving between them. And, um, you learn from that way and import draft, like, like, like cloning a, uh, you know, a, a, a bread yeast or whatever, um, you know, grab a little bit of it or, or, or cut a piece of a plant and plant it in a new place. Like import the culture from a place that, that is really working and draft off of that. But then beyond that, like, you know, find the tools, like be as transparent as you can, um, do as much in public as you can try to avoid the accrual of power in back rooms. It's natural. It's, it's easier to work that way. And I'm not saying don't have private conversations do it's essential, but constantly, I think as a leader in particular, the job is to constantly give away power. Because if you don't, if you're not careful, it'll just keep accruing onto you. People will, they will see you as the leader. They'll see you as the boss. They'll project all their shit on you. And if you're, if, you, if that's what you want, you know, you'll get that. And then all of a sudden, you'll have a corporation. Um, you need to give away power. Let other people fail. Let other people succeed. Um, and create a culture of support. The servant leader model. You know, where you are, you are helping other people. You know, uh, do their jobs. Trake, I couldn't agree more. I mean, my thesis is to fire yourself as soon as you oh, can. Yeah. Uh, Trake, this was an incredible presentation and you just sharing all of your wisdom on everything you learned from urine, from DAOs, your definitions of what we should have, the comparisons and metaphors to biology. We really appreciate your time and thanks so much for being a guest. Man, my pleasure. Thank you. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on your podcast app, writing a review, or sharing this episode on Twitter or LinkedIn. Stay tuned for the next episode, out soon.